Good morning, church. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you once again. Today, our sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 20. And I want to begin the sermon by telling you a story that recently happened to me. My friend Paul actually bought a game store in Pasadena. And he asked me to help him to interview his new staff. And so uh, I got together, and he gave us some interview questions. And we started interviewing people for the job. And here were some of the questions that we asked. One of them was, tell us about yourself. Now, that's not an easy question to answer because the person answering is not sure what you're looking for. Are you asking about my personality, my hobbies, what I've done, my qualifications? I mean, there's so many things to ask about. It's actually a pretty difficult question. Another difficult question that we asked was, why do you want this job? I remember the best answer that I received that day. It was someone just looking at me and saying, well, I need the money. And um, he was being honest. He told us he wanted the job because he needed the money. And other people gave long answers of, of how they, if they love to always work in a game store and this is their dream. And so it wasn't an easy question to answer. In fact, the most difficult question that we asked was this one. Name one of your weaknesses and what you are doing to fix it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a job interview before, but that's not an easy question to answer. Because when someone asks you, what are your weaknesses? I mean, you have to tell them something that's not good about yourself. And so you don't want to tell something that's terrible because you're afraid that they won't hire you. But at the same time, you still have to answer the question honestly. And so I heard some really uh, good answers for that. My point is this morning is that questions can be very hard-hitting. Questions can be uh, difficult to answer. In fact, it's not just during uh, job interviews. Imagine these other scenarios. Imagine other scenarios when people ask you questions. For example, if you're younger and your parents are your authority, and they ask you questions such as, what grade did you get? Or, why did you come home so late? Or, did you hit your brother? These are all questions that are difficult to answer. Uh, other questions, for example, uh, those of you in, in high school or college, and you go out on a date, and you go to pick up your date, and and, and the date's uh, parents say, what time are you coming home? You know, that's not an easy question. Or for those of you that are adults, you've gone to, for example, uh, a bank to try to get to, to borrow money. And they ask you all types of tough questions about your income and and what you're going to be doing with all this, uh, with, with the loan that you have. And, and my point is this, is questions are difficult to answer. And they can be penetrating. But questions are important. They're important for the person asking the question because they want to know your answer. 
But at the same time, the question is important because it makes the person being asked to really think about that answer. And today, we're going to look at two questions that Jesus asked. And Jesus knows already the answer to the questions because, well, Jesus, he's, he's God. He's God the Son. He knows everything. So when he asks a question, he actually knows the answer. But he asks the question because he wants the person answering the question to really think about the answer. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 to 28. Two questions from Jesus. How would you answer? And while you're turning to that passage, I want to tell you that um, this passage involves two of Jesus' disciples. In fact, all his disciples, the, the, the main twelve, were walking with him. They were in a small group and they were traveling together. Two of them was John and James, two of his beloved and, and very well-known disciples. And along with them was John and James's mother. Okay, John and James are brothers, and they're traveling together, and his and their mother is with them. Okay, and so you can imagine that's probably pretty complicated. Those of you that are adults, you know, whenever your if your mom is traveling with you. Uh, there are times when you wonder, what is she going to say? Is she going to embarrass me? Is she going to say something that's um, that's going to harm me? But in this case, it's a bit different. Their mother goes up to Jesus and makes a request. And Jesus turns around and asks them two very hard-hitting questions. Let's take a look at the passage. Matthew 20, verse 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, John and James, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked the favor of him. I mean, they're kneeling down because they want to show humility. Um, they want to show respect to Jesus. But what they're asking for actually is not very humble. Okay, let's take a look at this. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I mean, that's a pretty um, arrogant and prideful thing to ask for. I mean, to sit at Jesus' right and left hand had special honor, especially during those times when um, the culture, you know, the people that you sit with had a lot of meaning. And so for John and James and, and their mother to come and ask Jesus this, they're basically asking for something that, that will bring them a lot of attention, a lot of, of, a lot of fame. And they basically wanted a lot of authority and, and, and this very high position. And you can immediately imagine what the other disciples must have felt. Um, when they heard this, okay? But so they asked this, but the question that Jesus asked them um, is a penetrating question. Jesus says, what is it you want? Okay, again, Jesus knows everything already. He's got the Son. 
So why does he ask these questions? He asked this question because he wanted them to truly examine what is it they want. And so the first question I want us to think about is what is it you want? I mean, what do you want in life? Um, what do you want for your kids? Those of you that, that are parents. And, and I'm not just asking that as a casual question, like, oh, what do you want today? What do you want for breakfast? What do you want to, you know, where do you want to go eat dinner or shop? The question is, what do you really want? What do you really want for your kids? That's an important question. Because in that question, our values, our priorities, our goals, all the things that we're looking for in life, we, what we are pursuing, it's all tied up to that question. What is it you want? I have um, this picture here, this slide. It's about all the different activities and the so many things that people do in their lives. But if you notice, all these different paths, it all leads towards the middle, which is a, a load of cash. Okay. And I came across this graphic because I think it's important to, to recognize that the pursuit of wealth is a big part of our lives. It's, it's, it's a part of capitalism. It's, it's a part of what, what, what people in the free world pursue all the time. Not just in, in our city or in our country or this continent, but the entire world is made up of so many people pursuing wealth. And, and, and sadly, that is the primary thing that so many people in the world want. But that's not what Jesus calls us to pursue. That's not what Jesus wants us to want. But it's not easy. It's very easy to follow into this, to fall into this trap of, of pursuing what the world thinks is most important. In this next slide is a, is a photo of a conference that I went to uh, believe it or not, I went there 19 years ago, and, and I still remember it, okay? It was Urbana 2001. Now, Urbana uh, is a conference that happens uh, every few years. It, it used to be a missions conference, and it's, uh, it's, it's held by a Christian group called InterVarsity, okay? And at that time, Urbana was in a very cold city, um, and I remember going there and it was pretty much freezing cold. And that year, 2001, they overbooked every hotel room. And so people were first, were forced to live, um, even with, with, uh, with people from other church groups and people they didn't even know. And it was a very, uh, packed conference. Okay. So there were, there were thousands of people there. If you look at these photos, you can tell there was a lot of people there. And they went there because they were interested in learning more about becoming full-time missionaries. You know, if not full-time, then to be at least uh, able to spend some of their time spreading the word of God. And, and I really was impressed with the, with the, all the different workshops and the people that were there and, and the worship teams and, and how amazing 
for them to encourage people to go on missions. And at the end of the conference, I remember they asked, how many of you would commit to serving the Lord in the mission field? And, and I remember a large number of people, thousands of people, raised their hands to commit themselves. And I mean, look at it this way. These were people that spent hundreds of dollars flying to Urbana, spending money, staying in a hotel, paying the conference fees. It wasn't like a, a $30 trip somewhere. People had committed themselves and a lot of resources to go there. And so they were serious. And all these people committed to going on missions. But here's the sad thing. I remember about nine, ten years later, I read a study that InterVarsity did, and it, it found out that of all the people that committed to serving the Lord in the mission field, it was a very small percentage who actually went. Okay. Now, I remember in, in my church group, um, you know, there were some people who committed and, and, and a few of them actually went. And, and I looked at the numbers of people who went and I realized um, that, sure, there must have been a few who on their own decided not to go. But for many others, they were discouraged to go. Maybe because uh, they kind of came back and they counted the cost. Or maybe they went home. I know for my church group, there were some of the, the younger students went back, told their parents that they wanted to go on the mission field. And their Christian parents, Christian parents, said, we don't want you to do that. Okay. Because the cost is high. And I bring this up. What is it that you want? There are many people out there that they say they commit to God. They say they want to love Jesus and serve Him, but then when it when push comes to, uh, to when push comes to shove, it becomes very difficult to stay committed. So here in the passage, you have Jesus asking, "What is it that you want?" And that's a question that I want us to really reflect upon today, because here's the fact. The next slide here. Pride and success are very close together. We want to succeed. We always want what's best for our children. We want to do well. But a lot of times we become prideful. And, and here's the danger. When we try to pursue both what God wants and we at the same time try to pursue what the world wants in terms of the world's values, they, they are on opposite paths. You cannot stay on both of those paths forever. You know, as Jesus said, you must follow the narrow path for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter it. And I want to ask you, when you look at your values, your priorities and your goals, are your goals and priorities what Jesus wants? Let me give you another example. Um, when I was growing up, um, about 11 years ago now, um, 
my kids were were very young uh, and just born very young and there was a basketball player that had taken over pretty much the world in terms of excitement which here is Jeremy Lin okay there was something called linsanity which is a term that described how not just people in America or China but around the world people were talking about Jeremy Lin and how this guy came from nowhere and became this really amazing basketball player he did so well and and he was an Asian basketball player which is so rare okay um i can maybe name two or three in my life and that's about it all right um but here's the thing i remember about jeremy lin okay when jeremy lin became famous they would give a lot they would offer they would want him to give interviews and you would think that someone who has now become so popular and and had you know gotten really rich with you know a big contract um that he would become worldly but that was not the case with Jeremy Lin. I remember one article here I quote from Time magazine in December 2009 he was asked, you know, what are you passionate about? I mean, what do you want in life? What do you care about? This is what he wrote. This is what he said. I'm really passionate about Christianity and helping others. There's a beauty in serving people and in seeing people change their lifestyles for the better. I mean, I was impressed because Jeremy was someone who even though was was living in an environment that was surrounded by you know by wealth and fame that he still remained humble and he still remembered uh the same priorities that he learned from reading the Bible and going to church. In other words, Jeremy Lin was able to stay centered in Christ and wanting the things that Jesus wanted. In Matthew 6:20, Jesus said, "Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be." I hope today as you ask yourself, what is it that you want? that you match what your heart wants with what God wants from you and your life. Let's go to the second point today. The second question that Jesus asked is can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? This is a question that Jesus asked and he asked because what he was what he was asking John and James and 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 their mom was can you follow the same path that i'm going to follow can you can you go through are you willing to go through what i'm going to go through let's take a look at the passage here jesus uh said you don't know what you're asking jesus said to them Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, "You will indeed drink from my cup." You see what Jesus was foreshadowing was that he knew the future. He knew that John and James was going to have to follow in his footsteps, that they would be persecuted, that they would have to go through all the trials of what it meant 
to follow Jesus Christ. But here's the interesting point. At that moment, John and James was not ready. They were not ready yet to drink the cup that Jesus was going to drink. Because at that time, when they were asking Jesus that question, uh, what they wanted, and you can see in the slide here, what they wanted was they wanted greatness for themselves. And could they drink the cup that Jesus drank? No, they couldn't. At least not yet. You see, we know that John and James and the other disciples were not ready to follow in Jesus' footsteps because the gospel tells us what happens next. Okay, In this passage, Matthew 26, 56, we read that when Jesus was arrested and, and he was taken away, the Bible says that all his disciples deserted him and fled. In fact, Peter in, in, in Matthew 26 said, I don't know the man. Okay? They were not ready to drink the, the cup that Jesus drank from. In fact, Luke twenty two twenty four 24 talked about how a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. You see, even up until the end, they were still arguing about who was better, about who was, was more important, because they were not yet ready to follow Jesus completely. Not yet. So the question here I have on this slide is, what was missing? What was missing in the lives of the disciples that prevented them from drinking the cup that Jesus drank? Let's take a look at this. In fact, the question that I want to ask you is, are you ready? Have you counted the cost have you really prepared yourself to drink the cup that Jesus drank from? Are you prepared? In other words, are you ready to fully commit your life to Jesus? And in fact, the only way that you can truly do that is if you realize that Jesus is your Savior and that the Holy Spirit lives within you. Because until you realize that, your own personal strength is not going to be enough to follow Jesus. You need to accept and realize that He is your Savior and have the Holy Spirit dwell within you. Let me explain this further. You see, let's take a look at the, the Gospels and the disciples. When Jesus died on the cross, the disciples were scared, they were afraid, they didn't want to go out of the house, not because of like the coronavirus, but they were afraid because they didn't want to be captured and punished. They were afraid of getting hurt or even getting killed by, by the Roman and Jewish authorities. But something happened to the disciples. Something happens that changes them from being afraid to becoming fearless. What happened? The reality of the gospel is what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. That is what was missing. You see, before the resurrection, the disciples were scared. They were scared and they didn't have the heart to fully drink of the, the cup that Jesus drank from. 
But after the resurrection, when the disciples saw Jesus risen from the dead, they realized that everything he said was true, that every promise that Jesus made was real, and that Jesus truly is God the Son. And everything he said about life after death, about heaven, about all the things of what it meant to follow Jesus was true. And knowing that, they could be fearless. They could walk around not worrying about getting captured or being punished because they realized that there was a reward for them in heaven and that they were willing to drink the cup that Jesus drank from. You see here, the gospel is the good news that Jesus loves us and redeems us from sin by his sacrifice on the cross. And that truth is at the center of our lives. Because when we have accepted that truth, then we can truly want what Jesus wants, and we can truly drink the cup that Jesus drank from. Let's take a look at verse 26 here. Jesus said, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a man, as a ransom for many. You see, people cannot really truly accept this to be a servant and slave to others. They cannot follow this if they see Jesus just as a teacher. However, when they realize that Jesus is the Savior, that truth penetrates their heart and they're able to live their lives serving others because they realize that Jesus had died on the cross for them. As we get ready to close, I want to give you a few uh, illustrations and points. <clears throat> I want to show you the slide. This is from, um, in Los Angeles downtown, a ministry called Homeboy Industries. And it's a ministry that is a free ministry where people who used to be in gangs, uh, and when you join a gang, a lot of times you get a tattoo of the gang that you are in. And so they would come, and this ministry would would remove their tattoo because these people had changed their their hearts and no longer wanted to be in, in, in the gang and instead wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And what happens is it's a very painful process that removing the tattoo. But the founder of, of, of Homeboy Industries has said so many times that he sees people coming to him constantly and they're willing to go through the pain and sacrifice because they want a new start. They want to live a life of following Jesus, a new start. And as I look at the life of, of the Apostle John, um, I want to bring this, this last point with you. You see, the Apostle John, you, we read here with his mom and James in the beginning here, that he wants greatness for himself, that he wants to sit at Jesus' right hand and be recognized. This is before the resurrection. But afterwards, John has seen Jesus risen from the dead and he has matured in his faith. Let's take a look at what he writes. 
In 1 John 1 9, he talks about the forgiveness that Jesus gives. The same forgiveness that John received. Okay? In 1 John 2.15, John actually tells people, Do not love the world or anything in the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here is the same guy who wanted to sit at the right hand of Jesus, and yet he realizes later that it is not loving the world or anything in the world or greatness for yourself that matters, it is doing the will of God. Okay. In Second John, when uh, John again says, um, "A new command, but one we have had from the beginning." I'm not giving you a new command, but one who we've had since the very beginning. I ask that we love one another. You see, what did John want? As John grew in his faith, what did John want? To love God and to serve others. Could he drink the cup that Jesus drank? Yes, he could. I hope today that we can learn from this example of how these two questions from Jesus, what do you want and can you drink the cup that I will drink from? These two questions are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Has the gospel penetrated your heart the same way that it penetrated John's heart? Are you ready to call Jesus your Savior instead of just your teacher? I have this final graphic of someone who is having a self-centered life or someone who's living a Christ-centered life. That's the deep question that we need to ask ourselves today. Who is at the center of our lives? Is it us? Are we living a life that's self-centered? Or are we living a life that's Christ-centered? And so I encourage you today, ask yourself, what is it that you want in life? Are you ready to drink the cup that Jesus drank from? Are you ready to live the life that he's called you to live? Let's bow our heads as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And these are penetrating questions that we need to ask ourselves. What do I really want in my life? What are my values? What are my priorities? What are my goals? Who is leading my life? Father, we pray that you are the reason why we live that our priorities, our values, what we hope for, what we want in our lives is centered on what you want for us. That we serve others, that we love others, that we love you, that we want to spread the gospel message. Help us not to love what the world loves, but help us to love what you love. And Father, we also ask that you give us the strength and the grace and the mercy to drink the cup that you drank. That when we follow you, that when we get persecuted or ridiculed or or shamed because we are Christians, that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, that you remind us of the fact that you are God 
and that everything that you say is true and that your promises are always kept and that we truly follow you. Father, at times we may not want to drink the cup that you drank. We may want to turn away. We may stumble and fail and we may sin. During these times, we continuously ask for your forgiveness and your wisdom and your guidance that with your mercy and grace, that we will be able to persevere and to follow you. In the same way the disciples were forgiven and turned around because of the resurrection and spread the word of God around the whole world, we ask that you help us to follow you and to love you and to love one another. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen.